Welcome back everybody. This morning we are going to be learning. We have two sponsors this morning for the Shear. One is Mrs. Suzanne Cohen, the Ilu Nishmas, her husband, Chunachayim, Ben Zev Hakoyen, Mr. Herbert Cohen, whose yard is around now, our Limut Shabili Ilu Nishmasai. Also, the Ilu Nishmas, our brother Lehman is sponsoring in memory of, um, of her father, Mr. Manfred Lehman, Menashe Rafael Ben Achava Reb Chaim, who was obviously a very big community builder in our community and the greater five towns community. And um, it just passed the yard site, our Limut Shabili Nishmasai as well. This shear has taken many different iterations as to what its name is, in fact. And finally, the name of the shear is What is special about Yerushalayim? What is special about Yerushalayim? Now, that's the kind of question we could spend from now until Yom Yerushalayim answering. We could sit down here and we could write and write and write and we could answer and answer and answer and still not get to the end of what is so special about Yerushalayim. So let's, let's try to narrow the scope of the question. What I'd like to do with you in the next few minutes is to learn with you and really actually enter into the palaces of the mind of an individual who walked to the, the face of this planet just over a century ago, somebody who really has transformative perspective on life. His name was Rav Meir Simcha of Devinsk. He wrote a book which is on the Torah called the Meshech Chachma. They're actually, um, Meshech is, the, is, his, uh, is an acronym. Mer Simcha HaKohen, Meshech Chachma. And um, he wrote another pirush on the Ramam called Or, or Sameach, which is more of a halachic lambdas type of pirush and standing on, on the Rambam. The, the Meshech Chachma was a tremendous godal who was the, the, the leader of the city of Devinsk. He was actually... He had, a par- he had a colleague who lived in Devinsk at the same time whose name was the Rogachava Gaon. The Rogachava was, of course, from a more Hasidic persuasion. And the two of them got on very well. In fact, they used to say, that when the Rav Meir Simcha had a question, the Rogachava used to say, when the Rogachava got difficult questions, he'd send the people to the Kohen. And when Rav Meir Simcha got difficult questions, he would say, you know, it would, spend, it would take me the whole night to research it, but the Rogachava will understand it in one second, so you should go to him. And they had incredible deference for each other, and they led the city together. In fact, in 1904, Rav Meir Simcha was asked to be the Rav of Yerushalayim. It was a period of transition in Yerushalayim <coughs> itself. And his community prevailed upon him and said, We need you here so badly, you can't go to, to Jerusalem. Very transformative person. He, he in his pirush, woven into his explanations of the Torah, are very many minutiae and perspectives on not just life, not just politics, not just Europe at the time, but really a, a, a world view of Judaism. So there's many things we can gain from the, the deeper we, we, um, we sail into the seas of his mind. And um, um, they say about Rav, Meir, about Rav Meir Simcha that one time he, uh, he was learning um, during the night, and as would happen to him sometimes, he'd simply, he wouldn't make it home, he would just fall asleep on his on his svarim. He was an incredible, um, 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 he had incredible hasmada. He spent 24 years learning before he assumed any position. And, uh, he, uh, and, and he woke up in the morning in an cr- in incredibly good mood. And everyone said, what happened? Why are you in such a good mood? So he says, I want to tell you what happened. I fell asleep and this is the dream I had. I was, uh, I was, uh, I went to sleep and I entered, I, I, I found myself as a spectator in the Beistin Shalmala. 
I entered into the celestial court of, um, of, of heaven and I was privy to witness a conversation which was going on. The most incredible conversation. The conversation was between all the neshamas of the previous generation's leaders and they were saying, you know what? There's no one today who has any, who's actually bringing any new Torah, new ideas to the table. And they were bemoaning the fact that everybody was simply regurgitating, everybody was simply repeating. And then, on the corner of the table, stood up the Rashbah. Rashbah, of course, was one of the leaders of the Spanish community in the 1300s. Rashbah stood up, he wrote, he wrote a prolific pirush on all of Gomorrah, the Chidush HaRashbah. He wrote a halachic pirush on the, um, on the, 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 the concepts of Yoradeh. And he, the, the Rashbah stood up and said, there is one person today who actually is Machadesh, who is now trans giving transformative new ideas. And his name is Meir Simcha and he lives in Dvinsk. This is because I asked a question in the Gemara in Chulin, which I had no idea. I actually said that it must have been a mistake in the text of the Gemara. And he says, and he, on his Pirush on the Torah, he answered that question that I had and saved the text. And in fact, we're not going to do it now, but that actually is to be found early on Vayikra. We can see exactly the point that he, that, that he talked about. And he woke up elated by the fact that he got the approbation of the Rashbah from, from, we're talking now, seven centuries earlier. So this is an example of you know, the, 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 the depth of perception of the of Meir Simcha. So what I'd like to do is the following. Is I'd like with you briefly to ask the question again within the scope of his mind and say, what's so special about Yerushalayim? from the perspective of the Meshech Achma, and then come back in with an appreciation <coughs> of three levels, three tiers of how Yom Yerushalayim should be special to us. One answer is incredibly profound. One answer is incredibly simple. And one, uh, one, and one answer is astoundingly unexpected. So that's, 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 our, uh, that's our game for today. A profound answer, a simple answer, and an astoundingly unexpected answer. So that's how we're going we're, we're to start. So here's, how, here's the beginning point. If we're trying to work out what is special about Yerushalayim, it would obviously pay for us to take a look into the text of the Torah and say, well, what does the Torah tell us about Yerushalayim? Does the Torah tell us that Yerushalayim is so special? First of all, let's, let's, let's even take a step backwards. Does the Torah talk about Yerushalayim? Does the Torah <coughs> mention the word Yerushalayim? The answer is not explicitly. The Torah never, the Torah meaning the five books of the Torah, doesn't mention Yerushalayim explicitly. Go to the rest of Tanakh, it's everywhere. Okay, so let's, let's, not, uh, let's, not, let's not make a mistake over here. But in the Torah itself, it's not explicit. Where is the first, the first, uh, welcome back from, from, from the Shalom Zachar. Um, uh, um, when we try to work out over here, what is the, what, what, is the, what is special about Yerushalayim? Where's the first mention of Jerusalem? Maybe not as its own name, but as a city, a place where people live. Where's the first time the Torah mentions this? <laughs> Great. So we know that, that, in fact, in the middle of Parshas Lech Lecha, we're talk, we, we talk about how Avram Avinu has this war with the four and five kings. And as he returns home in source, Source 1 in Bereshis, Umalkit Tzedek Melech Shalem, Hoitzi Lechem, V'yayin V'hukoyin L'el Elyon. So we know that Malkitzedek, who's the king of Shalem, emerges and he brings these uh, wine, this wine, bread and wine, and he is a priest to the God on high. And the Mephorshim tell us that who is Malkitzedek? In fact, his Shem Ben Noach is, the, is, the, is one of the people who actually 
we lived through the disaster of the world's reformation, and um, he now lives in this, he's the king of Shalem. And the Mephorashim uh, say that, well, this is actually, where is Shalem? Shalem was the original iteration of what Jerusalem was. But that's not the only place where we have reference to the actual place of Yerushalayim, because a short parasha later, as we move into parasha's Vayera, Vayera is a parasha which has one word which exemplifies almost everything else that occurs in the parasha, and that is... What's the one word which captures all of Parsha's Vayera? The word Vayera itself. Because if you take, if you were to take a look through the whole of Parsha's Vayera and you see where does the word Vayera appear, it talks about how Hashem appears to Aram and Hashem sees the angels. And all the way through, it's about Yira, 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 seeing, 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 appearing, appearing, appearing. Fear, fear, fear. All the different permutations of that word appear. And especially towards the end of the Parsha, what's the second last and the biggest episode of the entire Parsha? Is Akeda Siyasak in Perakhov Bayes in, in Boratius, where it talks about what happens at Akeda Siyasak. In, in and amongst this, we know that, that uh, Avram Avinu um, goes to the place that Hashem will show him. And finally, after succeeding, after the willingness to give his only son from Sarah, um, this is what it says in, in the second source Perakhov Bayes, Pasagi, Gimel, Yisa Avram, and Senova, Yavine, Ayel Nechaz. He replaces his son as the offering. He takes this ayel, which was there, this ram. This is the place where Hashem will appear. This is the place where Hashem will be found, will be seen. This is fascinating because the beginning of the parish starts with Vayira Hashem El Avram. Avram. Hashem appears to Avram. At the end of the parish it is Avram eliciting where Hashem will appear. Isn't that fascinating? There's been a transformation of how Hashem appears. Hashem, uh, at the beginning Avram is the passive recipient of Hashem appearing. Now he is the catalyst of creating Hashem's appearances in this world. In this place called Har HaMoriah. Har HaMoriah we, are, we, are, we later know as Devrayam explains to us is in fact... The, the Haramoria is the same place of Yerushalayim. So the Medrash famously says, well, we have these two clues so close to each other, so that actually tells us a little bit about Yerushalayim, because Yerushalayim itself is the combination of those two names. Shalem from Malkitzedek, Yir'eh or Yero'eh from Abraham, put the two together and you have Yerushalayim. And that's how we have it. Now, I, I heard this, we've, many of us have heard this, it sounds very nice, you know, it sounds kind of like, you know, Everything, you know, we're grasping at all the straws we can get and we sort of put them together and it sounds very nice. But there's much more to that than simply two, two names um, of two different individuals who lived around the same time. Here we go. Here's what the Meshachachma says. Let's take a look at the top of page two. We're going to, he quotes the Medrash in the first paragraph, which we just, we just, um, just mentioned right now. But let's actually di- dive into the actual meat of what's going on over here. Vaha Inyan. Second paragraph. Deshem Haya Bedor Hamabul. Let's understand. We have two names emerging from two people. One person is Shem, who is the king of Shalem. One is Avraham. How do they differ? How do they how 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 do they co- co- contrast to one another? And how do they compare to one another? He says the following: Deshem Haya Bedor Hamabul. Shem lived at the time, the generation of the flood. He lived in the in the ark. He financed, he sustained everything that lived in the ark. What was his main work in life? His main work in life was in order to make sure that there would be peace among all the, all, the, all the living creatures. Why? Because 
the world in, that he had escaped from was He'd left a world of absolute, we'll call it internal distraction, where there was no sense of harmony in the world. So when he now had this little micro world that he was living in, what was his work? His work was to recreate harmony. That's what, that's what Melchizedek's work, or Shame's work, was in this world. And his entire teaching, He wanted everything to work harmoniously together. That's what it means he was the king of Shalem. The place that he established in this world was a place where there could be harmony. You know what? Everybody can come here. Everybody has a place in the city that I'm working. It's an international city. Everybody needs themselves. We all influence and are influenced from one another. Together, on our, all of our collective shoulders, humanity succeeds. That is what Urush Malkitzedek was doing. And why? Because we know where he comes from. We know what he was contending with. We know the success in his life. What was his mission statement in his life? Was to make sure that the world now didn't look like the world then. That was his point. And how did he achieve that? With a base sign of what's called shalem, peace. You know that the Gemara says that the ankli machzik to bracha elo shalom. The reason why we enter the Shona Esrei with peace is because there's no, the, the way peace is described, peace, peace is like a container. It is the context of everything else. If, we don't, if you don't have uh, the container, if you don't have the foundation, you can't, nothing, else will, no, nothing else in life will succeed if there's no peace, right? But at the same time, we need to remember that if all you have in life is a pot, if all you have in life is a container with nothing in it, then it's also just on, we'll call it neutral. So that's where Avraham Avinu comes in. That's the one aspect of Yerushalayim. One aspect of Yerushalayim is it's peaceful, it's harmonious. Now there's more to that. He goes on further. This is, so, this is such an incredible insight. <laughs> Omnam, however, Avram his pal safe. What's that? What's that word? Okay, it's going to be philosophy, so he's turning it into a Hebrew word. His pal safe. He 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 philosophized. He self philosophized. Ma'oid very much in wisdom. V'lamad called darkei atoim, and he taught and he learned about all the ways of the people who made mistakes, meaning all the other polytheistic perspectives in the world. He argued with them. He said, you know what? There's one system. It's not just a whole bunch of powers. And Hashem did not simply, you know, uh, delegate to the, to, to the other powers, celestial powers in this world. That's why Avraham Avinu's flag in this world, what was his banner? Was Hashem will appear, Hashem is here. There is one God over all of the world. Okay, a very complicated concept. He's just talking about Okay, and he says, and this is especially true when we don't have a base of English. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And that's why Avram Avinu says, this is the Har Hashem Yero Eretzon El Amar, When everybody sees, look what just happened over here, that Hashem spoke to a human being, brought about that there's an isle which is over here. This is a moment where everybody should see, wow, it's not just a place of Shlemus, it's a place of 
Hashem speaking to the human being that there is a one command, one will in this world. Fantastic. And Yerushalayim is the place which has both components of this. It is a dichotolidon. It, it has the aspects of the seichel and the lev. What was Hashem working on? He was working on harmony. Harmony is usually an emotional exercise. Right? It's, uh, harmony is, is where we have to sort of overstep a little bit of ego sometimes in order to facilitate working with each other. Right? When it comes to the, what Avram was contributing, he wasn't contributing the emotional harmony. He was, uh, he was contributing the intellectual honesty of the place. And he says the two halves of the whole are Shalem and Yir'eh, are the emotional and the intellectual coming together to forge a city which is the place for all of it. That's fascinating. It's just a remarkable perspective. And that explains so much in Jewish history, if you think about that, with this concept that the Meshachachim is saying. It explains why it is, is that we can have a base in the Mikdash, which is our pristine place to connect to Hashem, when, and at the same time when Shlomo Melech finishes building, you know what he says? He says, everybody in the world comes and serves here. Well, wait a second, Shlomo, isn't this ours? The answer is no, everybody has a, has a place in this. Because it's both Yir'eh and it is Shalem. Right, it's the place where the people of the world can all come. They can bring korbanos in the base of the Mikdash. We're not the type of religion where we're just killing the infidel all the time. There's obviously, of course, hierarchies and tears. But nonetheless, this is a place where everybody keeps basic based tefillah. L'chol ha'amim. Where does that come from? Because Malki Tzedek established it based on half of the principle is harmony, which is Shalem. That's irrespective of the Yireh part of it, which is Avram, is that fascinating? Just a way of looking at it. You know, just recently, um, for those who, uh, who, um, who had the opportunity of being in APAC, we actually had an opportunity of hearing from Nir Barakat, the, the, the mayor of Jerusalem. Um, he actually just sent out a, a video welcoming uh, President Trump, who's going to be there this week. And um, he, he, he spoke to a small group of us from the five towns, and it was very fascinating, really remarkable to hear him. A really, very, very interesting individual. And one of the contentions that he has is a very well-accomplished individual. Um, um, and he said, he said a very interesting thing. His, his contention, if you listen to him, his, his, he, he constantly um, argues that Jerusalem is a place for everyone. He, he argues that Jerusalem should be the place where everybody has their place. And he means to say Jews, Christians, and Muslims alike. Everybody should be able to be comfortable and safe coming to the place, to their places of worship. And he, and he upholds that. And that's why when there's a tax, and remember uh, two years ago, when there were these terrible attacks going on, which are continuing and, um, um, on a consistent basis, he wanted to make sure that even though for a day or two there were blockades between the Arab and the, uh, the Israeli side of Jerusalem, he wanted to maintain that the blockades are removed because it's safer to have the city as united. And, the, and if you think about what he's saying, you know, as, as a non-religious individual, but as a deeply religi religious man at the same time, yeah, he understands that there's something, something true about this. It is the place of Yireh, but it's also the place of Shalim. You need to have a little bit of both. You need to have the Yerushalayim. That's, that's tier number one, which is really a remarkable perspective on what Yerushalayim represents to us, but to the world as a whole. That's, that's tier number one. Why is Jerusalem special? Because it's special to humanity and it's special to us. It's special to harmony and it's special to our intellectual perspective of where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. That's, 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 that's tier number one. Profound. Now the Mishra goes on to, an, to another level. So this is, this, is, this is level answer number one. It's incredibly <coughs> profound answer, something which really resonates throughout history, and maybe it explains why it is that all of humanity has been trying to, trying to conquer Jerusalem. Jerusalem has had 14 empires controlling it throughout history. If you think about that, try to, try to name any other city in the world that's ever had that amount of conquests <coughs> and control. <coughs> 
Nonetheless, that is that is what Yerushalayim is. Tier number two. This one's this one seems to be a little simple, but it's something I think that we experience all today, and that is number, the next second level. The Mishnah is in a completely other, a completely different place in Chumash. This is the Mishnah to be found in Shmois Perik Gimel. He quotes the Gemara in Baba Basra. This is on source five. He says the following. Omar Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmeni, Omar Rav, Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Omar Rav Yochanan, Shloisha Nikru Al Shmuel Shal Hakadosh Baruch Hu. There are three things which Hashem attributes His name to, and who are they? What are they? Ve'eluhein Sadikim, righteous people, Melech Hamashiach, the Messiah, the Yerushalayim, and Jerusalem. Now let's think about this for a second. Let's sort of put ourselves, you know, so to speak, in Hashem's perspective for a moment. Think how careful we are about what we sign. I mean, think about, let's say, you know, forget, like, even your, like, you forget your company's logo. Think how careful we are to put our names on things. Think about the liabilities, you know, you're going to put your name on something. You always worry, you know, what's going to happen if it doesn't succeed? What happens if it doesn't act in a way which is going to be representative of the values that I want? We're very careful about these kind of things. Even things which should be no-brainers, we're very careful about because our name matters a lot. So Hashem says, you know what, there's three things in this world that I am unequivocally writing my name on. And they are Tzadikim, Mashiach, and Yerushalayim. And by the way, all three of them come with risks. They all come with risks. But Hashem says, you know what? I'm prepared to put my name on these. Why is Hashem's name on Yerushalayim? So the Mishachachma goes on through each one of them and he explains how a different aspect of godliness comes through each of these three apertures in the world. And he talks about Yerushalayim. Why Yerushalayim? He mentioned it really tangentially beforehand. He says the following. Yerushalayim, Himakom Hashkocha Pratis. Why? Yerushalayim is a place where there's a greater concentration of God's hand in this world than other places. When you're in the confines of Jerusalem, Hashem's hand is a little more overtly connecting nature in the way that it works out. That's what it means when Yechezkel says, God is there. That He is there. His eyes, so to speak, are always watching Jerusalem. The Pasuk says explicitly, Hashem seek, searches out Israel always. <coughs> and most certainly, the, 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 the most saturated point of that is, of course, Jerusalem. That's what it means that Jerusalem has the name of God in it. And I think that, I'm sure we've all had experiences where we've had a Jerusalem experience. Where we've had, we've had the opportunity of something which just, you know, the right way, the right connection, the right time. The Yerushalayim experience. I want to just share one experience which, um, which affects all of us today, which happened 69 years ago. So we're not talking about the Yom Yerushalayim aspect of this, of, of this but just an a aspect which happened 69 years ago. This happened in the area of Katamon. So I'm sure we all, we all spend time in Katamon, whether we have an apartment there or we, we double, whether we go to the restaurants or dive in the shtibble or walk through or whatever it is, or we have family. We all <coughs> love and... Uh, and uh, um, and, and cherish Katamon. Well, it wasn't so simple. Katamon was not necessarily a fully Jewish neighborhood in 1948. It was actually the terrain of a great battle which was fought in the 1948 war. And a lot of this was uh, focused around the San Simon Monastery there on the hill. And the, uh, um, facing the, the Palmach fighters were not just Jordanians, but also Iraqi fighters. They'd send, um, Iraq had sent in armaments and soldiers, and they were the, this was the terrain. There was a certain alley where they had, they had lined up just outside the, outside the, the monastery, a cannon, and any, it was called Death Alley. No, no, none, none of them could actually leave. None of the Palmach soldiers could actually leave this area or, um, for fear of being killed. 
And it talks about, this is just a Jerusalem Post article um, recently which describes this, the, this moment. Um, by April 30th, Palmach troops had run out of ammunition, morphine and bandages. Reinforcements didn't arrive. This is in the monastery. And of 140 men, only 20 survived and were able to fight. The men were ordered to retreat, but there weren't, there weren't enough of them to carry out the wounded, even if the soldiers who had fallen were left behind. The radio ceased operation and they could no longer communicate with headquarters. You can imagine what this field must feel like. They're being bombarded. There's snipers. Every time they stick so, so much as they hear outside the door, there's snipers shooting at them. There's a cannon pointing down the alleyway. They're, they've run out of ammunition. They, they don't have enough people to carry the wounded. What are they going to do? Commanders had a terrible decision to make. Obviously, no one had, could be abandoned here alive as they meant certain torture, mutilation, and death. Two men volunteered to shoot the wounded and then retreat, but were unable to carry out their mission. So meaning they were, they were going to decide to kill all the wounded simply because they couldn't take them out and they didn't want to leave them into the hands of the Jordanians and Iraqis. After agonizing discussions, everyone who couldn't walk was placed in one room on top of a layer of explosives. Two soldiers volunteered to stay behind to blow up the monastery and everyone inside when the Arabs broke through. I mean, this, 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 you can imagine, this is, the, this is, this is just the, the, this moment of battle, the terror. At the last possible moment, a Haganah intelligence officer at the Jewish agency intercepted a message from the Arabs in Katamon announcing the exhaustion and intention to retreat. But the Haganah had no way to let the Palmach <coughs> troops hold up the monastery know that the Arabs were declaring out. So let's, describe, let's think about the pathos of this for a second. Here you have them about to, the Israelis are about to retreat. They're about to kill their wounded. They don't have any force left to fight. But then, then the headquarters hears that the Arabs are about to retreat. But they can't get the message through. So they're about to kill their own and leave Katamon in the Arab hands. When they, if they'd waited five minutes later, that would have made the difference. What happens? Suddenly, just as they began moving out of the monastery, the radio, radio sprang to life. The message was received. The Arabs left and the Palmach remained. We have Katamon today because of five minutes, ladies and gentlemen. And that, it's just five minutes that the radio came to life again. So what, 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 what the, what the, the Mishnah Chochmah is saying over here is that Hashem says, you know, my, my stamp of approval is on Jerusalem because in Jerusalem is a place where I make sure that things, things, uh, there's a little more overt expression of my name there. And you know what? Sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes the Jews might be kicked out of the old city for 19 years and we wait to see what's going to happen. Sometimes there'll be the Crusades who will kill Muslims and Jew, Jews alike. And it'll take many years for Jews to access the city again. But, you know, Hashem says, you know, I, I, I have the ticket is open. It's waiting for you to come back because that's where I am. So level number two, level number one is profound. Level number two is even uh, almost simple in the way he describes what, what's special about Yerushalayim. And the third is, is really remarkable. This third level over here of why Yerushalayim is special is, is just, uh, just off the charts and um, unbelievable. So here we go. Ready for this? So this, 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 is, this is just... Um, this, 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 is, this is where the shear started, actually. These, these two things are in, in, uh, as coming, coming towards it, these two ideas before. This is, this is, this is where the shear actually started. Um, and, and we have to think about it like this. You know, we talk about holiness in the world. There's lots of different levels of holiness. But we need to ask ourselves is, is what type of holiness is Yerushalayim? So just an ex in a halachic example for just a moment. Okay, so let's, let, let, let me, let, let's talk about this. Let's say you have a lulav and esrog, and you have a chumash. They are both holy, right? They are both holy objects. Um, what is the difference in the holiness of a lulav and esrog and a chumash? For a moment, what differentiates their kedusha? Okay, so chumash is intrinsic. Why is it intrinsic? Why is it intrinsic? Because it contains Hashem's names, and for for primarily it's called what's it's called a tashmish kedusha. 
it itself is intrinsically inherently kadash in the soda. <coughs> what about a lulav and esrog? Why is a lulav and esrog holy? It's just a chafzah shel mitzvah. Right, it's called a tashmish mitzvah. It's holy for its yeah. function, right? For what we're doing with it, because Hashem said, for, for one day, or these days, for seven days a year, you're going to take this, we'll call it this piece of foliage, and you're going to now endow it with the kadusha while it's being used. Which means to say, therefore, when we finish using either ones, there are different reactions. There's different, uh, there are different ways of dealing with it. So chumash, which is no longer in use, has to have geniza because it's called shemos, literally the names of God, because the names of God are in it. It's intrinsically holy. Whereas after Sukkos, when we have the lulav and esrog, you don't have to put the lulav and esrog in shemos. You have to discard respectively because it is the shell of what was a tashmish mitzvah, but nonetheless it doesn't have inherent kedusha. It had functional kedusha, and the function is now left. So we respect it, but we don't necessarily treat it in the same way. So when we look at holiness, we need to think to ourselves, anything that's holy, is it holy because of function, or is it holy because of intrinsic holiness? That's, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. So when we ask ourselves the same question about <coughs> Jerusalem, when we ask that question, uh, question about Israel today, Israel's holy, Jerusalem's holy, not so simple to go up to Harabais, and, and certainly everybody agrees in certain places, one cannot enter. The question is, is what type of holiness is that? Intrinsic or functional? Now, um, if we go back in history, it turns out that in history there are many times where it describes how special Yerushalayim is from time immemorial. So for instance, an example is, the Mishnah Yama tells us that um, in, in Source 7, that Mishnah Aron, Evan Haisa Shama Mimosa Nevi'im Rishonim V'shtia Haisa Nikres. When they removed the Aron, on, the Aron was placed on a stone called the Evan Shasia. Right, and I think that you know they say that that's the dome of the rock. That is the same rock. And the iron is placed on it. Why was it called the Evan Shesia? Shesia literally means to say like almost like um, nursed out of. What is it? Nursed out of or or pulled out of? What is it? What is it? What is it? Why is it called Evan Shesia? So the Gemara there in Yuma explains is that because that is the place where sort of the world was was expanded space was created from that point. That's the, that's the way that the, the Gomorrah describes it, which sounds well. That sounds like means a primordial, you know, um, existence of space starts in this place called Evan Shasia. More than that, we know that actually just halakhically, this is fascinating, halakhically speaking, where is the international dateline? For those who want to who visit Hawaii, Japan, the, where the east coast of Australia, and have questions about Shabbos, the reason why there are questions is because there are three, there are three op opinions as to where the halakhic dateline is. One of the famous ones is Rabbi Chiel Michal Tukachinsky, who says that the, re the place we measure the international dateline is the center of the world flipped around 180 degrees. Where's the center of the world, as we know? Jerusalem. So therefore, halakhically, what do you do? It's 180 degrees in either way from Jerusalem central time. Forget Greenwich. Who cares about Greenwich? Well, why, why do they decide Greenwich? Because that's where the, the, you know, the Astronomer Royal was. He says, we have a middle of the world already. So that means to say Jerusalem is the center, 180 degrees in either side, that's where the Halakhic date line is, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. That's where he understands it from. Where? Because that is the center of the world. This is the Halakhic ap application of, the, of, of this concept. More than this, we know that, um, we know that in fact, there are the, the Zohar and the Gomorrah and Sukkot talk about how Adam and Eve were actually drawn from the ground of the Mizbeach. You know, there, underneath the Mizbeach, you know, there's what's called Shesim. These are, there's two pipelines which go down deep into the earth. So the Gemara, the, the Gemara describes that Adam Arishan, the, the clump of earth, so to speak, was pulled out of that area, which is where 
the, the, we pour the wine and the water onto the Mizbech is from that particular area. And the, the way the Gemara describes it is from the area that we are drawn is the area that atones for us. So it's almost like we've got the built-in insurance policy because humanity doesn't always have a good track record, right? So the, so the, the Mizbech is the place we atone for all the messes we make because that's where we, we came from. So we have this like sort of this notion of, of, of being... Of having Yerushalayim a very special place for humanity, and all the way from time immemorial. More than that, you know, it talks about how Noach builds a mizbeach when he comes out of the teva, and the question is, where is that teva? And one of the one of the tirgumim, the targum Yonasan, says that it was the same place that Adam originally made his mizbeach, <coughs> the same, the same place all the way through history. So it sounds like if you were to ask yourselves, is Jerusalem special because of function? It sounds like you know it's, it's special because of always was, right? It sounds like Yerushalayim is always very special. However. The Mishnah Chochma, once, once more, coming back to Rav Meir Chudvins, makes a very <coughs> oblique comment, which is very hard to understand. And we're going to try to pry it open. Here we go. Here's what he says in Source 15. He says, Yine, yesh laharech, a very, very strange comment. All holy places are not to be founded in God's endowing them in holiness. Rather from our belief and our eternal heritage there. Even Haramoria, why is it special? Because humanity was created from there, not because it's inherently itself <laughs> holy. That's the same place where the Akedah occurred. And that's why it was chosen by the Nevi'im later on. Hashem's perspective is, I'm going to tell you where it is, but you're going to make it holy. He says, Vahar Sinai, Makom Dat, a place where God chose, what's an example is? Har Sinai, right? Har Sinai, God chose. We didn't choose. Hashem told us, this is the destination, this is what I'm going to do there, it's all about what I'm giving to you. Once Hashem said, okay, the procedure has finished, there's nothing special about Sinai. Does, do we even know where Mount Sinai is today? I'm saying there was a place. God decided to come there. He rested his shechina on there in a way which the world had never experienced before. But afterwards, oh, it's back to grazing territory. Right? Because when Hashem comes to this world, it's not in the form of any place. The place doesn't have any, anything else afterwards. It's just Hashem. He says, you know what, why are Yerushalayim and all these other places special? Not because Hashem said, I am here, but because of what we did to believe in Hashem in that place. How fascinating. Now that's a little strange that we need to like try to unwrap that a little bit. What, what does that mean? What does it mean that there's a difference between God-endowed Kedusha, which comes and goes, and then the, the Kedusha which we endow in a place? That we need to like kind of think about that a little bit. What, what, is, he, what is he trying to get at? So let, let, let's, let's start from the halachic shah of a point of perspective. Why is, oh good, so let's, let's start exactly what Shalom is talking about. What is the halacha today? Is Yerushalayim holy? The answer is, is Yerushalayim holy today? And the answer is, absolutely yes, it is holy. There's a, there's a debate in the Gomorrah though, as to why it's holy. The Gomorrah Megillah on Daf Yudam Abayz, Yudam and Aleph talks about this, and the Gomorrah in Chagiga on Gimel Abayz talks about the notion that there's a debate as to what's called Kitsha Rishona. Kitsha Rishona means to say the following. There are two times that the nation of Israel came to the land of Israel and sanctified it. The first time was after the generation of the Midbar that came to Israel, they brought in the Aaron with Yeshua, and all the areas that they conquered, they sanctified as being not Eretz Canaan anymore, but being Eretz Yisrael. And that became holy. That's what's called Kidshah Rishonah. It's what's called Kidshah Shnia. 
Kedusha Shnia was no longer, it was after the destruction of the first temple. When the Jews were now living in Bavel, they come <coughs> back with Ezra at their leadership, later on Nehemiah, and it talks about how Ezra would go around and re-sanctify the land of Israel. Did they have the Aaron in those days? No, the Aaron was, was, was hidden, hidden away. Did they have Shechina in those days? No, Nevo is petering out at this point in time, and that was called Kitshoshnia, the second, second sanctification. There's a debate in the Gemara whether Kitshorishola, Kitshovalasi Lavai, or not. Whether their first sanctification remained upon the destruction <coughs> of the Basin Gash. And the Rambam commenting or leaning in on this discussion tells us very explicitly in Source 18, Kol Sheikh Ziku Ole Mitzrayim, Veniskadesh Kedusha Rishona, after the first sanctification, and there was, a, the meaning to say, our first, we'll call what's called academically the first commonwealth, when Israel entered the land of Israel after the desert experience, spent their time there, and then were exiled by the Babylonians, that disappeared. That Kedusha disappeared. That was based on conquest, and it disappeared when we lost our conquest. He said Ezra's Kedusha later on actually succeeded in having like longer, long, uh, a greater longevity, which is why today we Paskin says the Rambam that Eretz Israel is holy today is because of Ezra, the second round. That's how the Rambam understands it. Now you start to ask yourselves, it's a little counterintuitive, right? Because if you think about this for, for just a brief moment, you would think that the greater endowment of Kedusha was when Israel came in and they have everybody, the whole nation, all the tribes, the Aaron HaKodesh, the Nevi'im, everything they wanted, they still have the Mishkan. That's the moment you think, this is it, we did it. We imbued it in such a way, we now, we, we now in a certain sense imbued Kedusha in this land irrevocably, but nonetheless it disappeared. When it came to Ezra, Nebuch, the people who saw the Beis Amigdash that was built in the times of Ezra, cried. The ones who saw that the, what it looked like compared to the first Beis Amigdash, it was so minuscule, it was so, it was so petty compared, so to speak, compared to the first one. Um, in, in fact, that's why uh, um, most of the Jews didn't, in fact, didn't even go back to Bavel at this point in time. So why did his condition last? So Mishra has, has a perspective on this as well. Mishra Chochmah says something quite, quite, quite fascinating. We're not gonna, for the sake of time, we're not going to read this section inside, but the Mishra Chochmah says, says the following, you know, he, he, his, he, he quotes a number of halachic models of how this works, but he's, he is, his major point is the following, is that the higher the degree of Kedusha, therefore the easier it is to profane it. So I mean, you say, when you come in with the Aaron, you come in with the Chatzot and you come in with the whole procession, and you make this land holy with a very high degree of holiness, with a high degree of Kedusha, you know what, it's very easy to actually lose all of that, very easily. And therefore, when it came to the second Kedusha, the, the Kedusha of Ezra, where it was much, much more humble, it was much more simple, that was something which actually lasted much longer. So it sounds like, to, it sounds like according to the Mishikachim over here, why is Israel holy today? Because, because we, in an almost, almost non-prophetic state, remember Ezra is a, is a prophet, but we, in a very mundane way, in a, in a very a pedestrian way, <coughs> We're Makadesh, the land, and that's what holds on today. And that's what survives 2,000 years of exile. Isn't that fascinating? We would have thought, oh, the reason why it's holy is because it's holy. No, it's holy because we did it. The Mishra now goes to one extra stage, one extra step to, to drive this in. And this is, this is where the crux of the matter lies. We take ourselves for just a moment, let's just recap where we are. The Mishra has told us that the land of Israel isn't holy because God said, I'm here and it's holy. It's holy because 
of our connection to it and what we did to it. In fact, the, the, that's the Nishach explains why the second Kedusha is more long-lasting, is because it's more of a humble Kedusha, more of our, our investment into it, with less higher stakes. Now, the Mishra now, goes one step further, in a different place, in a different story. Let's return for just a brief moment to the, what's called the Cheta Egel. Periklamet Beis in, in, in Sefer Shmois, Pashas Kisisa. Here you have, Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to Har Sinai, he goes, he comes down 39 days later and he sees everybody is already dancing around this Egel. And in response to the, what, what is Moshe Rabbeinu's decision on the, on the spur of the moment is to break the Luchos. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, here God gave you something which he made, right? I mean, like, this is, this is, not, this is not just, you know, anything. This is, this is, you know, handwritten by God, the supernatural tablet, whatever it's made out of, clay, whether it's made of marble. <coughs> God has given you something. You come down the mountain and agreeably they're not behaving well. So maybe they don't deserve it. So as a parent, you know what you should do? You're going to put it in the closet till, till they behave themselves, right? We're going to put it up there. So, and they're going to, we're going to tell them that they missed their birthday present because this is a really bad one, right? But in the end of the day, as a parent, do you, do you have the right to break the family heirloom? Like, meaning, who gave Moshe Rabbeinu the, who gave Moshe Rabbeinu the right to destroy these luchais? Think about it. This is, this is the, the, one of the only celestial endowments we've received, and the moment he gets there, he destroys it. It's shocking. And in fact, not only does he destroy it, there was it all right. In fact, the, the, the Gemara the darshans the word later on at the end of the Torah, that Yashukayach Shishibarta. And Moshe Rabbeinu, when it says Asher Shibarta, the Gemara darshans that, you know what? Moshe Rabbeinu, you did a great job by breaking them, but God didn't tell him to. Look, if you look at the Pesukim, Hashem doesn't say anything about that. Why was Moshe Rabbeinu going on about breaking, the, breaking the tablets? So Mishra Chochma says in the most profound, profound way. And this, this affects every, every aspect of our perspective on life and holiness. He says the following. Moshe Rabbeinu understood that there was a problem in the room. He understood. He came down and he saw these people dancing around an eagle. And he understood that there was a weakness in humanity. The weakness in humanity is, is that they cannot deal with a God who is completely out of this world. They need that God to come down somehow in some channel, in some antenna, in some physical manifestation in this world. And before he had gone up to Har Sinai, who, where, where did the people find that? In him! He realized that there was a mistake they were making. They needed there to be a tangible representation of God. And it was in him. So when he disappeared, what did they do? They created another tangible place where God could be found. Another antenna. Because people have difficulty dealing with holiness, just, for, just holiness which is, which is cerebral. By the way, this is, this is why um, he suggests, and other people suggest as well, you know, if you think about the Christian, Christianity, what, what, what's the Trinity essentially is, is, okay, we can have a walking, talking expression of the Son of God, meaning that that's the same weakness of humanity is, okay, well, we, can, we need to have a way that we can relate to this God in this world. And Moshe Rabbeinu understood that there's a problem over here, folks. So he said the following, you know, you think that Hashem makes intrinsic Kedusha in certain parts of this world, whether it be me, whether it be that eagle, and that's where God is. He says, well, I'll tell you the truth, you're mistaken. That's not how God operates. Listen to what he says. This is the most remarkable paragraph. Take a look at source 21 for a quick second. I'm um, um, in the first paragraph. Do not think for a moment that the Mikdash or even the, uh, the Mishkan were holy because inherently they were holy. Hashem decides to stay among us. 
Vehema Kaodam of Rubris, Husar Mehem Kol Kadusha, Vankli Chol, Bo Prisim Vechalua. If we decide not to act in a bilateral agreement, then Hashem ain't there anymore. It's not just because it doesn't Hashem is there, Hashem is there as long as we're there. Therefore, if Hashem, if we're not acting up to it, then you know what happens? The bilateral agreement falls short and Hashem is no longer there. That's why the enemy can enter the Mikdash. Titus entered, the Titus, the Roman emperor, entered into the base of Kodesh HaKadoshim with a prostitute and he wasn't harmed. A place where a Kohen God would enter with not the purest thoughts and you'd drop dead. How did this work? Because Hashem wasn't there anymore. The Luchos, which were the writing of God Himself. You made the mistake of thinking that there are inherently Kadosh things in this world. They are not. Even God's handwriting is not holy. It's dependent on you. He says, When there's infidelity under the very canopy of the Chuppah, when God is marrying Israel, There's nothing left. They're not God's writing anymore. There's nothing in them. They're simply shards of pottery. Only when you decide to keep them. There is no such thing as something which is inherently holy. Hashem is inherently holy, but nothing in this world. The Mishkan is holy because it is the function of serving Him in that place. This is remarkable. What, what this means to say is listen to the, the algebra of Moshe Rabbeinu's equation. You mistakenly thought that there is a person or there is a being or there is something in this world which is inherently holy and therefore we need that to experience God. Well, I'm going to show you that even God's writing is empty of any meaning unless you're serving Him. Don't serve Him. They're gone. Fall to the ground. They're empty. They're not His luchos anymore. That's what the Meshach Ahmad says. They're remarkable. That's, that's shocking. The, that means to say that he is saying that, that there is no point in this world you can point to and say is inherently Kaddosh. That's shocking. Now, if you think about that, 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 falls, that falls in line with everything he said up to now. Why is Haram Moriah? Why is Yerushalayim special? Because of our, our past, of what we did, all the things that happened there, and what we do in it. That's why it's holy. Now, by the way, halachically speaking, the Amish understands and is clearly quoting the notion of Kitsha Shnir of Kitsha meaning Yerushalayim is holy. Right? Yerushalayim has a baseline of holiness, which, and he's not advising people to transgress that holiness, just to be very, very clear in the Mishra Chachman. But what he is saying is, is that the degree of holiness is not dependent on God. God is intrinsically holy. In this world, the only things that we can really fill with holiness is the things that we endow with Kedusha, the things we endow with our own <coughs> investment. And the, the, to, to a certain degree, you have to think about this. What this means to say is, is that in this equation, where does the vast responsibility lie? It lies on us. How special is Yerushalayim? And the answer is, well, how special we make it. There is a baseline of Kedusha. Don't, he's not arguing on that. But in the end of the day, how special it is means to me how much we invest in it. Now, of course, and this is, just, this is always a point which comes back, is as the Kotzke Rebbe said, when he was asked as a little boy, he said, somebody said to him, you know, Yingala, 
Where is Rebbeinu Shalom? Where is God? And apparently in those days, Uncle Moshe did not have his hit album out. Um, and so the, the Kotzka Rebbe responded, wherever you let him in. Wherever you let him in. And if you think about it, that's exactly what the Mishra Chachman is saying. Is even the Mishkan and Migdash are empty when we have removed ourselves from it. Three tiers of, of speciality of Yerushalayim. Number one, is, it's special because it's the place of Shalem and Yireh. The heart and the, and the mind together. It's also special because it's the place where Hashem has extra added attention. In any place in the world, Hashem has extra added attention to making that place special. And the third point is, why is Yerushalayim special? The answer is, is because if we decide to make it special, Hashem will join us there in the same place. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.